The scriptures abound with mysterious figures who show up out of nowhere, perform a function, and disappear just as mysteriously as they arrived. And to me, one of the most fascinating uh, in that category are these visitors who come to see Jesus today. We know next to nothing about them. First of all, we don't know exactly what they were. The word that it's used in Greek is magus, which is, we translate magi, wise men. They could also have been kings. We, we typically speak of the kings, and that's because they would connect with the prophecies in the Psalms and the prophet Isaiah. Kings shall come bearing gold and frankincense. So they may have very well been kings. They certainly were wise men, obviously astrologers. They knew something about reading the signs of stars. So they were not simpletons. They were intelligent men. We don't know how many there were. Traditionally, we speak of three, and tradition has given them the names of Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. And I know the cathedral in Cologne, Germany, claims to have the relics of the three kings, and that might be absolutely true. I'd be the last person to deny tradition. But Matthew doesn't say how many there were. He only says wise men arrived. We don't know where they were coming from. From the east. Half of the world is east of Israel. They could have come from almost anywhere. There's really only two things we know for sure about these people. One, they were not Jews. These were Gentiles, pagans. While the shepherds adoring Jesus was the Jewish people uh, coming and greeting the newborn king, now this was the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, coming and finding the Lord and worshiping him. And reminding us that, uh, as St. Paul mentions in the second reading today, that the Gentiles are now co-heirs with the Jews. Christ's call to salvation his, what he worked for us on the cross is for everybody, not just those who are descended from Abraham, but all those who embrace faith in him. And what makes us his children is following him and embracing him and not any worry about uh, physical lineage. And the other thing we know about them is that they followed a star and it led them to Jesus. Now, let's look for a moment at their journey because I think it's helpful to see what they really had to go through. They didn't have the luxuries we'd have today. Today, if you want to go to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, you just take a plane nonstop from New York to uh, Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, and you get off there, and you can take the shuttle bus just a few miles to Bethlehem and go in the church. But they didn't have that back then. There were no buses. There were no tour groups that could bring them there. They had to go on their own, probably on camelback, um, because they would have been wealthy enough, obviously, to own camels. But they also had to travel through a lot of territory to get there, and inevitably, wherever they came from, they would have had to cross through desert. Now, deserts are extremely hot during the day, but remember, if they're following the light of a star, that means they're traveling by night, and the desert can be very cold at night and dangerous, especially because there are bandits who would hang out in the deserts and prey upon people who got lost along the way. And they didn't have you know, street signs or you know, lights or anything like that. They just had to follow the caravan routes and hope they got to the right place. So, first of all, it was a difficult journey. Then, of course, along the way, they would stop in some of the, the, the caravan towns and things along the way to replenish their supplies. And I'm sure people noticing these distinguished people were asking them where they're going and said, well, we're following the star and going by night, and it's going to lead us to the newborn king of the Jews. And some people might have looked at them and said, excuse me, what did you just say you're doing? 
You're going to travel the desert by night in the danger of all that, all this way just to find a newborn infant? And what's he going to do? Teach you all wisdom? Is he going to give you a post in his government, make you wealthier or anything like that? I mean, come on, that's crazy. You guys are supposed to be such wise men. Well, you know what? You're acting like fools, if you ask me. So I've always suspected that there had to have been some people who were ridiculing them along the way. But then, of course, they didn't understand it completely because they arrived right away, logically, in Jerusalem into Herod's court, figuring that someone in Herod's line had just had a son that would be the new king eventually of Israel. But, of course, Herod knows nothing about it. There's no newborn baby in their family. And Herod was paranoid. Even though he was at the end of his life, and even if this child was someone who was going to sit on his, um, the political throne ruling Israel, he would be long dead before that child came along uh, to be able to do so. But even in his old age and his paranoia, I mean, he had killed his wife and several of his sons because he was afraid that they were uh, trying to overthrow him. So he hardly could have said he was doing it out of love for his children because he didn't have any. In fact, you know, he was so brutal to his family that it led Caesar Augustus in Rome to say, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son because being uh, part Jewish, Herod was only a quarter Jewish, but still following the kosher law, you wouldn't kill a pig. You don't eat pork. It's not kosher. So a pig was safer in Herod's house than his own children were. And of course, in his paranoia, he wants to go out and find this child And he tries to manipulate the wise men to let him know, saying, let me know where he is so that I too may go and worship him. But we know very well he doesn't want to worship him. He wants to kill him. But they go out, and then the amazing thing, the star which they'd seen at its rising went before them and led them exactly to the spot where Jesus was. And when they entered and they saw Jesus with Mary, his mother, they prostrated themselves. Now, a lot of times in paintings and statues, we'll see the wise men kneeling before the Lord, but that's not what they did. They didn't kneel. They prostrated themselves. What is that? To prostrate is to lie face flat on the ground, face to the dirt, absolutely powerless before the other, totally, completely flat. And the symbolism of that is, I am nothing, you are everything. They completely abandon all of their own Wisdom in their humility, they said, this child is everything. And look at the symbolism of that. Kings, wise men, all of the political power of the world, all the wisdom of the world lying prostrate before the infant Jesus saying, we are nothing. You are everything. What we think we know, what we think we can do, who are we compared with you? They prostrated themselves. What a beautiful image that is. And I always like to reflect upon that and remember how often we think we're so smart. We know everything. We know nothing compared to what the Lord is. And then they opened their gifts and they presented very unusual gifts to him. Normally, I think today, if somebody just had a baby and you went to visit them and, you know, welcome the new baby, you'd bring some onesies, blankets, maybe rattles or little practical things for the children. But they brought very different gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Actually, one of the apocryphal gospels tells us that there was a fourth wise man who was turned away by the Blessed Mother for bringing a fruitcake. I know, don't quit my day job. Problem is, this is my day job. But going back to the gifts they presented, they're very significant. First of all, gold. Anytime one king visited another king, 
in a peaceful visit, he brought gold, showing that he respected his kingly authority, that he was coming as a friend to him. So they brought gold to Jesus to say, we know you are an earthly king. And they respected that. Frankincense, incense that we still use today in church that has been used since ancient times in worship. And the incense showed that he was divine. So they realized he was an earthly king, but was also God. And then that third and strangest gift of all, myrrh. Myrrh is a very strong perfume that is used in embalming. And they would use it when they're preparing a body for burial to cover up the smell of decaying flesh while they're preparing the person for the burial. So the myrrh indicated he was going to die for his people. And so those three gifts show us the beauty of this child, of who he is, that he is a human king who is also God in the flesh and will suffer for his people. And then, of course, they're warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and they go back to their country another way. And I think perhaps the beauty of that scene of the Magi adoring Jesus, prostrating before them, is why the early church isolated this event in the life of Christ before any other outside of Sunday, being a day of celebrating the resurrection, of course, of such importance because the early church took seriously and understood its obligation to bear witness to the nations, to be the light, to shine for all the world, that everyone is called into Christ. It's not just the lineage of Jews, but now all the Gentiles, all of us are called to follow Christ because that will make the difference. Christ himself, God became a man and dwelt in our world to teach us the truth, to teach us how to correct all the errors that came with original sin, to show us the way back to truth, the way back to God, the way back to the peace and the goodness we all long to have, and most especially to die and offer the sacrifice for us that we couldn't do for ourselves but that he would suffer and die and give us his body and blood as food so that every time we come and receive his body and blood in communion, we are with him on the cross, suffering, dying, and rising again over and over. And now that call goes out to everyone. And as Jesus had told his apostles at his ascension, make disciples of all the nations, that is our challenge. That's what you and I are now called to do, to go out, as the Second Vatican Council said in the beautiful document, Lumen Gentium, to be a light to the nations, to be the light for all the world to know. You want answers? You want truth? Find it in Christ. Our world, of course, I don't know too many people who look at the world today and say, gee, what a wonderful job the world is doing. Everything is wonderful these days. No, everybody's complaining that you know, nothing is right. It's always been that way, but even more so now, people are complaining that we've completely lost our way. And the answer to get back on track is so simple. It's right here. It's Christ. Just follow him. Do what he says. Worship him. Adore him. Receive him. If we taught all the world to follow Christ, what a different world we'd have. Can you just imagine if everybody were trying their best to be a faithful Christian and follow the Lord? We wouldn't have so much of the pain, so much of the evil, so much of the conflict, so much of the hatred that we're seeing in the world today. We'd have brotherhood. We'd have love. We'd have cooperation. We'd have people who were trying their best to help each other be the best we could be. And in doing that, we would find our dignity. We'd find the dignity of others. We'd find peace of mind. We'd find happiness. We'd find the joy, the joy we look for that only Christ can bring. 
and, the, and that is to f- be found just in him. My friends, do we realize we have the answer? We have the answer to all the world's problems, and we are meant to go out and call people to follow Christ. Going back to when I was talking about the wise men showing up in the um, caravan routes, so the the little towns along the way, that some people I've often thought might have ridiculed them, saying, you know, you're not acting very wise. But I've often wondered if there were other people who said, but you know what? No, these men are not dumb. These men are intelligent. Maybe they're on to something. And maybe in their curiosity, they decided to follow along in the caravan and go with the wise men. And if they did, they too found Christ. So you and I are called to be both wise man and star. First, people looking to follow Christ, trying to find him. And that's what we're doing in our lives each and every day. Our whole journey of faith is trying to grow closer and closer to the Lord Jesus, to bring ourselves more in line with him so that we can know the peace that only he can bring. And at the same time, while we're trying to find Christ, being the light leading other would-be wise men to Christ. I wonder how many people driving by our church today need what we have here. The answer to all the world's problems, the way to make everything right again is right here in Christ and in his teaching. And how many people out there need that but have no one to show it to them because maybe we're afraid, we're too timid, we don't go out and bear that light to the people. Well, my dear friends, don't be afraid. Ask the Lord today to strengthen you to be the light, to go out and say, you know what, world, you want to make a difference, we want to make it better, it's going to come from us when each and every one of us follows the Lord. Sure, not everybody is going to accept it. There will be some who will scoff at us, others will ridicule, maybe even others be angry at us because we preach Christ. But think of the people that we will save, that we will bring back to the Lord. And if we bring them back to him, we will be saving our own souls as well because we are doing the job that the Lord has called us to do, to go out and make disciples of all the nations. And may we strengthen ourselves or ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us today to want to go out and bear witness to Christ to all the ends of the earth that if we tried not talking about it, it would be like a fire imprisoned in our bones. We grow weary holding it in and say, no, I can't not talk about Jesus. I have to go out and bear witness to him. And I won't rest until, as we heard in the psalm today, Lord, let every nation on earth adore you. And until all the peoples of the earth are adoring the Lord, we will not rest in preaching the name of Christ to the world. My dear friends, you and I are called to be his epiphany. The word literally means God revealed for all the world to see. That's what happened with the wise men when they came and saw Jesus. All of the the pagan powers, all the wisdom, all the leadership of the world found Christ. You and I now are called to go out and help all the world to know that, to be the epiphany, to be the light shining for all the world to say, if you're upset with the way the world is and you don't think we're going the right way and you want the answer, the answer is right here. It's here in Christ. Rise up in splendor, world. Your light has come. May Jesus Christ be praised now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carrozza. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carrozza, please visit www.fathercarrozza.com.